0: How is it with your soul? I'll ask again. How is it with your soul? I think it can be so easy uh, to lose hope at times. But when someone asks, how is it with your soul? It sort of seems to open up a journey to to know some wellness, I believe. I remember going to church once and this young lady... um, who knew what I what I wrote about and all that sort of stuff? She, would, she said, how are you? And um, my response was quite polite and I said I was okay. And then she repeated the question, how are you? And she wouldn't stop asking that question until um, she felt that I answered in a, in a deep level. Uh, she was gently curious and persistent and wanted to know um, how I was going. And it was good. It was actually church, okay? That's what I call church. (laughs) Um, But how is it with your soul can be a question that can deeply challenge us, can't we? Do I go deep? Or do I go shallow? Is this person safe to confide in? Or someone to totally avoid? (laughs) Um, There are a couple of people I want to talk about today that... um, I would have liked to have asked, how is it with your soul? And I got a bit deeper with them. One of them was named Horatio, and the other was, of course, named Job. And so, how is it with your soul, Horatio? And that question of how is it with your soul, it's a very subjective question, because there's no soul wellness measurement tool, is there, that I know of. But typically, we might... Um, be able to give a fair representation of our wellness, of our inner world. It's subjective, but it's a place that we can talk to. Now, uh, Horatio Spafford, he penned the quite well-known hymn, Uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And the hymn was written after some incredible traumatic events uh, with um, Horatio. The first of his two, first of, first two, of these events was his death of his four-year-old son and the great uh fire of chicago of 19- 1871 and that ruined him financially that the fire he'd been a successful lawyer and had invested in property in chicago um then his business interests were further hit by economic downturn in 1873 and he had planned to go to england with his family uh, on a ship to help with DL Moody's camp um, evangelistic campaigns, but in a late change, he decided to stay home, and his, he sent his family ahead while he worked on his business. And, but while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship rapidly the um, ship sank after a collision with another ves- vessel, and all of um, Spafford's daughters died. Four of them. His wife survived and sent him a telegram. Saved alone. And so, shortly afterwards, as Stafford travelled to meet his wife, he he was inspired to write the words of that famous hymn as he went over the uh, place where it had gone down. His daughters had died, and as I as I read the Wikipedia page. I noticed that a word had been changed in the hymn. The original word, <coughs> sorry, the original hymn had to know. But later it was to say. And if you're not familiar with the hymn, it goes, When peace like a river attendeth my soul, When sea when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know. Now that got changed to say. It is well, is well with my soul. Look, I get concerned about people who say, all is well, when you know it can't be. They're going through some trauma, a divorce, a death, a financial loss, a illness, or a place of dark loneliness. I don't want them to go alone. When people put on a happy face mask to hide the below skin reality, it is not well. Repressing the pain won't make it better. I believe that whoever changed that, that word from um, know to say has probably harmed generation after generation of people singing that hymn. We have sung a belief into our brains to have a stoic, stiff upper lip attitude and keep saying it is well when it's not. Knowing, deep, deep knowing, takes time. It's the knowing that only comes from struggling and wrestling. And it's the knowing that has been developed in the biblical character of Job. And there is a whole book in the Bible about a man experiencing similar experiences to what Horatio was facing. But Job wasn't saying all as well. <laughs> Job seemed, <clears throat> seemed like a pawn in some celestial chess match between Satan and God. The Satan is saying to God that the faith of God, faith of Job, was because Job benefited from the relationship. That the relationship was based on Job, uh, well, based on what Job will get back from God for being faithful. So the accuser uh, comes and challenges God that if you take certain things away, things that denote success and prosperity, then Job will walk away from the relationship. And uh, theologian Gustavo Guterres writes this. It is impossible for Satan to deny that Job is a good and devout man. What he questions is rather the disinterestedness of Job's service of God, his lack of concern for a reward. The Satan objects not to Job's works, but to their motivation. Job's behaviour, he says, is not for nothing. In Satan's view, a religious attitude can only be explained by the expectation of a reward. It's a simple prayer. I will follow you, God, but you have to do your part. Make my life smooth, easy, prosperous, happy, healthy. <sighs> but it's, you know, it's a relationship with strings attached. You, know, you do this for me, I'll do this for you, you do it for me. Uh, but God knows the heart of Job, that, that, that Job doesn't have this kind of mindset. Instead, Job's perspective is a deep commitment whatever the cost job loses his health his wealth and many of the members of his family his soul soul crumbles to a low moan where only God can console him you see I want to know more I know I want to know God more than the blessings from God Prosperity doctrines, heightful worship services, programs that want to make you feel better, feel very distant from a man sitting on an ash heap picking at his wounds. As I sit and watch Job, I hear the voices of those who email me. Where is God? Why isn't God doing something and making things change? I need help. You know, I I hear my own demands (laughs) to make things better and more comfortable. And I think, you know, can we go a little deeper and in, into knowing a different God than the one of quick pain relief and superficial blessings? C.S. Lewis writes this, The longer I look into the, to it, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law. The woman who makes a dog the centre of her life loses, in the end, not only her use, human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good, loses not only his job but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It is a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. (laughs) Glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and so arrange your life, it is sometimes feasible, that you will have nothing to do but contemplate her and what happens. Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. Apparently, the world is made that way. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. Put first things first, we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. We never get, say, even the sensual pleasure of food at its best when we are being greedy. In a broken world, where we still have the wafts of Garden of Eden flowing through our nostrils, it's easy to worship and want the garden rather than worshipping and wanting the garden. That's the struggle of Job. The grief and pain of losing the garden, knowing that there is a gardener, and trying to make sense of it all. It wasn't well with Job's soul, but there was a future. I want to know it is well with my soul, whatever is going on around me. Here's some qu- quotes. The Satan proposes his wager. Lay a finger on his possessions, then I warrant you, he will curse you to your face. Thus the central question of the book of Job is raised at the outset. The role that the reward or disinterestedness plays in faith in God and its consistent implementation. Gustavo Gutierrez. and Richard Raw, he says that our defini- definition of God has been inadequate. We envision God as complete and all-powerful and not suffering, but I think God is suffering. And when we suffer, we are somehow in solidarity with God. Redemptive suffering is, I believe, a radical call to deeper life and deeper faith that affects not only the self but others. Richard Rohr Diamonds are found in the dark places of the earth. Truths are only found in the depths of thought. Victor Hugo Suffering is whenever we are not in control, which is my definition, then you see why some form of suffering is absolutely necessary to teach us how to live beyond the illusion of control and to give that control back to God. Richard Raw. Here's some questions. How would you respond if someone was to ask you, how is it with your soul? Number two, what is the difference between to know and to say, it is well with my soul? Number three, What is typically promoted as a successful life? And is that a first thing or a second thing for you? How is it with your soul? As you've listened to this, I'd like you to email me. Barry at turningthepage.co.nz And um, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, my writing... In my um, creativity, it'd be really helpful. A dollar a month, <laughs> uh, US dollar a month. You can support me via Patreon, and um, that would just be so helpful. Or you can just give a donation via donor box. And you find out all about this over at turningthepage.co.nz forward slash support. Until next week, I pray that someone will reach out and say, How is it with your soul? And you will do the same to them.